can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Welcome to Hiya, the only podcast that wears a leopard print singlet under its street clothes at all times. <laughs> Episode 41, recorded also on July 28th, 2013, starts now. Oh, how's your singlet? Oh, it's it's right. You want me to rip my clothes off and show it to you? Well, that was kind of the idea, wasn't it? All right, here we go. Here we rip. go. <laughs> Got to rip them out now. Ah, uh, yeah, no, my singlet probably needs a laundering. Yes, indeed. At this point. So, uh, what's new, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> Quite a bit, actually. Uh, you know, this is a cool tie-in. Last night, uh, I went to an art gallery, an art showing of uh, one of my students who, in his day job, he's um, kind of a uh, you know real business kind of man, business consultant and stuff like that, and uh, it's kind of straight-laced when it comes to kung fu and everything, and. So I was pretty shocked when, uh, you know, he invited myself and all of his Kung Fu brothers and a bunch of us went out and saw it last night and really awesome stuff and heartfelt, but also really technical, you know, artistically shaped color form, all that good stuff. Um, and, you know, he, he had showed me a kind of a preview on the iPhone a little bit. And, and so I got to see it, but it was nothing like seeing it in person. But what I'm getting to and t- kind of tying it back into martial arts was something I said to him. Uh, two, twofold. One, I thanked him, you know, as we were leaving, I said, you know, thank you so much. Cause it, it art, you know, good art, um, you know, opens the body, mind, spirit, if you will, but it's kind of a cure, cure for the news, you know, cause I do the news and I know what it's like. It can bring you down quite often, you know? Yep. Um, and on the second nature, you know, knowing how, how kind of, uh, stiff he can be sometimes when it comes not just forms, but more importantly in application, you know, I, I told him, I took him aside and I said, this art that I see, that's the you that I want to see in the Kung Fu dude. And it, it kind of serves as a, as a more general lesson of, yeah, you learn all these forms, you learn the principles, and as we said a thousand times, it's more about the principle than the technique. But don't ever try to copy your teacher and, and try to be uh, this picture storybook or, or Shaw Brothers movie depiction when it comes to applications. It's got to be natural. It's got to be you. You know, you have to be flexible enough to see the openings, to adapt and go, oh, my gosh, what I want to do is this, but it's not exactly Bagua or it's not exactly my style. Who the hell cares when he's about to whoop your tail? Yeah. I mean, eventually you got to take all the elements, the scales, the, the chords, the techniques, the principles that you're taught and no matter what you're doing and, uh, add your own stamp to it and exactly. learn how to improvise and learn how to express yourself because Indeed. you know, you're never going to be the person who taught it to you. Exactly. Don't try to be, you know, the next Bruce Lee, be the first you. Yeah, be the Bruce Reed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bruce Reed. Oh, there you go. Cool. Yeah, that's a nice tie-in. Yeah, uh, he invited recently. me out to that, but I've just got so much going on here. You can see with all the work we've been doing at the house. Yeah, no doubt. That and work, work, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I just couldn't make it out there, but I definitely want to check that stuff out. Definitely. And uh, it's funny you said uh, the, the the Bruce Reed, you know, because uh, just recently, I, you know, it's not going to be in the news because it's 
all over. It was the 40th anniversary of Bruce Lee's, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. big pimping. Um, and that's always great because you did a wonderful thing. You know, it's just uh, a little yeah. bit too much sometimes. Well, it's, <laughs> I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I went through a period where I was fed the hell up with Bruce mm-hmm. Lee because every martial arts magazine had to put him on the cover. And this is, yeah. you know, 10 years after he's dead. Every martial arts magazine had to put him on the cover like every other month. It's like, mm-hmm. come on, isn't there anybody else we could focus on for yeah. just a damn minute? Yeah, it's it's trippy. I mean, granted, there, we we get it, you know, but at the same time, my joke is, you know, his, his name in Mandarin is Li Xiaolong, long fucking time, man. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I've I've come to peace with it though. Every every art needs an icon, and Bruce Lee go. is that guy. Apparently, you know, it's just like every guitar magazine for two decades Hendrix. after he died was putting Hendrix on yeah. the cover every other month, and they're still doing it. So, mm-hmm. You know, but uh, yeah, you got uh, you, you saw one of our uh, friends said uh, there's a new Hendrix movie coming out, and uh, we got somebody from uh, Outcast playing him. Outcast, Outcast, the, the music band? group from yeah. Atlanta. Got yeah. to keep them separate. Oh no, uh, no, not uh, no. sorry. I was thinking of something else. Coming Outcast. up like elevators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <clears throat> Andre, if you like fish and grits and all that yes. shit, everybody, let me hear you say, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go." <laughs> anyway, well, cool. Well, we got a great show coming up for you tonight. We've got uh, Brent Weedman, who Excellent. is a uh, mixed martial arts uh, competitor. He fights for Bellator. Sweet. <clears throat> yeah, he's got a got a fight coming up here soon. Um, there's another one of my uh, uh, Tam connections. Uh, oh. This guy's really he's a good talker. He's a funny guy, and he also came from a traditional martial arts background. Really? Yep, he did a lot of that too. So uh, he's a good, well-rounded martial artist, and uh, I really want to pick his brain about you know. A lot of the people we've talked to have fought professionally, but mm-hmm. a lot of them are coaches and stuff like that now. And I, I really am looking forward to talking to somebody that's right up in the thick Griddle of it. Griddle in the middle, baby. That's right. Yeah. And getting some of their perspectives on some of this stuff. Um, yeah. And uh, Craig, you're going to drop some news for us? Yes, indeed. Yeah. So we've got all that and much more coming for you. Yeah. Yeah. Coming well, to now, get you. What is the much more part? That's that's. Well, that's whatever just happens. (laughs) That's the much (laughs) more part. There you go. There you go. (laughs) We shall see. All right. Well, it's getting a little little rainy outside, so we're going to have to... Put the dome up over the champagne lounge. Yeah, I think think that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Protect us from the rain, you know. Yeah. I hope we don't suffocate. No, no. That would not be a good thing. (laughs) Would not. Us and a bunch of dead strippers laying in a bubble. I know it. I know it. No callbacks to any uh, parties. Come on. All right. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Well, we're going to do that. And then when we come back, uh, we'll have our interview. So y'all hang tight. We'll see you in a minute. And Monte Carlos and El Dorado. So I'm waking up out of my slumber, feeling like Rollo. So follow, it's showtime at the Apollo, minus the Kiki Shepherds. With about a hoe and a leopard print. Teddy, Pendergrass, cooler than Freddie Jackson, sipping a milkshake in a snowstorm. Left I throw warm in the dorm room at the AU. We blew hay to athletes, my cakey, but you must have been mistaken with them statements that you make, huh? Nobody don't ask me, I'm just so 
All right, folks, we're back with Brent Weedman, welterweight fighter for Bellator Mixed Martial Arts with a 21-8-1 record. <laughs> and also uh, somebody I recently got to meet. So, Brent, how you doing? I'm doing really well, buddy. How are you? I'm great. Doing good. Um, we usually start these things off by coming through people's early martial arts history. So if you don't mind, tell us, you know, uh, I know a little bit about this, but I think it's a really interesting story. Yeah. Uh, my co-host over here, Craig does not. So, uh, go ahead and tell us, uh, what got you started in martial arts and, and how all that came to pass. Sure. Uh, my dad actually was a martial artist, um, since before I was born in various martial arts. And the one that he came to that he sort of stuck with was a full-contact style Japanese uh, karate called Byakuren Kaiken. And uh, Byakuren is spelled B-Y-A-K-U-R-E-N. And it's uh, it's relatively popular in Japan. Um, It's popular in random places. They have quite a few schools in Sri Lanka. We have some schools, I think, in... Brazil, and some in Europe. Uh, but ours was the only school in America. Um, my dad started training me, he says, when I was like three or four. Uh, four is when my formal classes started, once a week. Uh, he was also a police officer, and once a week we would go to the police training center where they had math and heavy bags and everything, and he would, he would teach me. And then uh, a bunch of people started asking if he would you know, consider teaching them, and he started a school when I was five that he only recently retired from teaching. So that's what I grew up doing um, when I was eight. Well, that, now let me stop yeah. you right there. Since yeah, there were no schools in America, where did your dad learn this? My dad learned this. Um, so actually, I, I should clarify to your point. There was a school in Wisconsin, and, you know, how this all works out is very, you know, six degrees of separation. It gets very, very strange. But a friend that he met, a guy that was very much like his father figure growing up, um, because my grandfather split on the family, so my dad didn't really have a father. And the guy that was his father figure um, here in Louisville, he went to school here in Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm from. And then moved up to Madison, Wisconsin, or uh, Lodi, Wisconsin, which is a small town just outside of Madison. Um, when he was there, my dad would go, and when, when I was young, we would go up there and travel all the time. And one of his friends up there spent two years in Japan. And to be honest with you, how he hooked up with our style, I, I'm not entirely sure. But there was a uh, a martial arts school up there, a Biakran school up there. My dad was doing a little more of like a, a lighter contact traditional style at the time and was just enamored with this guy. So started training under him. And this guy brought the founder of the style, who's still, I mean, it's a young style. The founder's only, you know, I think he's in his 60s now, early 60s. Oh, okay. Brought him to the States for a seminar up in Wisconsin. My dad met him you know, made the formal transition over to the school. That's how, and that's how he was training. My dad traveled to Japan a lot when I was a kid, probably once or twice a year for a lot of my childhood. Um, and then various Japanese fighters, including our instructor, you know, came to Kentucky and taught here um, and trained here. So that's how we got that started. But school in Wisconsin has actually since closed. And then, uh, Okay. School, um, my father's school, actually. You know, my, he retired from teaching a few years ago. 
So as far as I know, there's no Biakram schools in America anymore, which is damn. Cool. You got a secret style. Yeah, 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 very much. The problem is with the four kinds of karate styles are that the people that want Japanese karate typically don't want to get bruised and broken and beat up. You know, yeah. they want uh. they want katas and they want you know mall karate the trappings. Yeah, and then the people that want to get beat up and bruised and broken want to do kickboxing or want to do MMA or want to do some boxing or something like that. So it was a very difficult niche for us to fill uh, here in the U.S. But uh, when my dad, he was the recruit coordinator. He was like the, I always used to say, he was like the drill instructor for the police recruit classes. And um, the guy, uh, a guy came through the class when I was about eight years old who eventually became my dad's best friend and, you know, sort of like a second father to me as well, as though I needed another one. <laughs> dad used to always say that it was the first guy in any recruit class to, to be able to beat him in the defensive tactics in the, in the hand-to-hand combat portion. It turns out that's because this guy was a black belt in judo, and we didn't know anything about grappling. So, okay. uh, you know, I actually, my earliest memory of grappling was my father coming home uh, dropping his duffel bag in the living room and going, let me show you this. And he showed me Fuji <laughs> Gatami. He showed me a straight arm bar. And I thought, this is, what is this black magic? So I, uh, <laughs> I got hooked up with a judo program and I'm a very competitive, very, you know, I like, I like sports and I like to compete and, and I like to fight. And, you know, as the only style of Fokanta Karate, there are clearly not, I mean, of, of our Fokanta Karate, there are not many Fokanta Karate tournaments in America. So once I started training Judo and learning that there were Judo tournaments all over the place, you know, I started competing a lot in that. And uh, I guess you could say that's how I eventually got hooked up in MMA because I liked, I liked sparring where we could strike each other. And then if we clinched, we could throw each other. And if we got on the ground, we could do submissions and continue striking each other. So I always joke, and you know, my father and I were one of one of a million people that thought we invented MMA until, until <laughs> the UFC like rolled around. And went, oh, they've been doing this in Brazil for eighty years. So like, okay, this is not not that unique. So that was uh, that was basically it. And then I actually started training. I guess the the other formal styles that I trained in. Um, the guy that was my main coach when I decided I wanted to start competing in MMA and about eight years ago or so, I decided I needed to get serious about it. Um, I was really just training with a, any grappler in Louisville that would train with me, just open mats and friends. Um, and a kickboxing coach sort of took me under his wing and gave me the the structure that I needed to be made to become a real athlete. So I spent seven or eight years training uh, like a Dutch style of Muay Thai kickboxing. Um, I only recently, you know, separated with that with that instructor, but that made a big base on how I how I strike. And shortly thereafter, that about eight years ago, well, so I guess about nine years ago is when I started kickboxing. About eight years ago, um, a Brazilian man by the name of Helio Soneca moved to Louisville opened a gym or started teaching at a gym that I was already training at. Uh, I started training with him, not really knowing much about him. And as it comes to find out, he's a extremely well-known old school, famous jujitsu instructor. He's trained everybody from Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort, you know, Miguel Torres, Stephen Ponner. I mean, just these 
Big names. Oh yeah, and that's just the MMA guys, not including all the all the jujitsu guys that he's trained with and that he's friends with. So I started training jujitsu under him. And if you were to ask me today, you know, I think I I, I told Dave this. If, if you were to ask me today what my style is, what my main style is, I'd say jujitsu. It just it really it took over my life. Uh, my wife will attest to that. And. Uh, <laughs> In March of this year, after you know, 21 years of grappling and eight years of jujitsu specifically, um, I got my black belt in March 23rd of this year. Ah, congratulations! So, yeah, thank you. So, so now I can really start, and uh, and that's, <laughs> you're ready to learn, <laughs> ready to begin. Exactly correct. So that's my, you know, I've, I formally trained before martial arts, um, and that's been my background. Cool. Well, you know, your your story's brought up a couple of things I'd like to drill into a little bit before we move on. Um, mm-hmm. One of those is uh, the way you just said something kind of made a little light go off over my head. Um, you know, it seems like maybe the case is that a lot of the traditional schools that are still fighty are kind of getting wedged out by that dichotomy that you spoke of earlier. You know, I, I kick myself a lot for, well, I mean, we train in the park, so, you know, it's, it's hard to keep a large student body around when you do that. But, you know, it's part of it may be the fact that, you know, people who go traditional are looking for all the trappings and people who want to swap paint are, you know, heading into these arts like kickboxing and MMA, where it's explicit on the front of it that you're going to do a lot of that. Um, you know, what, what do you think the effect of that may be on traditional arts? I mean, are they going to die out, or do you think there's going to be uh, the fighty ones anyway, or is there going to, you know, be some sort of opening up uh, that, you know, uh, as they prove themselves on the, and I keep saying the fighty end up, but you know, the the more contact, more uh, competition oriented side of it, maybe that they can make some sort of resurgence. Yeah, you know. It's a very good question, and I don't I don't pretend to have you know the answer to it. Um, and what I say today probably is different than what I would have said five years ago, and probably what sure. I, maybe a little different than what I'll say in five years. But where I am today is that, with a few exceptions, um, you know there there are like the wrestling, the boxing, the 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 combat sports that are very clearly sports. You know they 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 distinguish themselves from martial arts usually quite readily. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, martial arts is as martial arts does. Martial arts is more about a mentality. Uh, I, I, I've said a million times, and, and, and I really do believe that what separates the two is that a combat sport's goal is to win. It's a, right. it's a gold medal. It's a trophy. Um, whereas the martial arts are a vehicle for personal development. That's the, that's the primary focus. The primary focus is is uh, is self-evolving, is self-evolution and self-development. As kind of hackneyed and cliche as that sounds, I really believe it. And so yeah. my gym, for example, the gym that I train out of, Derby City MMA here in Louisville, Kentucky, is a jiu-jitsu, primarily a jiu-jitsu school. You know, we have something like 800 students, and almost half of those are just the, the jiu-jitsu program. Uh, you know, and we also have boxing and kickboxing and a fitness program and all these other things, but most of it is jujitsu. And we train our students primarily for jujitsu competitions, submission grappling competitions, and MMA. Um, but that being said, uh, even though that is our, you know, our focus in terms of what we're spending time on on the mat, you know, we're trying to, you know, give kids something to do with tournaments and with competitions. Um, 
as instructors, myself and the other instructors, um, it's, it's all about the personal development. It's all about the mentality. It's all about the warrior spirit. Um, the warrior spirit, the, the budo for the, for the Japanese martial artists out there, um, mm-hmm. Japanophiles, that's, that's separate from whether you actually ever fight. <laughs> um, yeah that mentality and that lifestyle is different. And, and, and really, if you get down to my, I mean, it sounds silly, but if you get down to my core worldview, if you strip me down to who I am and what, what made me, you know, I, I explained to David over this trip that, you know, my father was two things. He was, it is, he's a, he's a martial artist and he's also very, very religious. I was raised in the church. I was raised in Christian school. I was raised, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very religious. But when I look back, the thing that made the largest impact in my life was not religion. It was martial arts. That's who I am at my core. And so to me, that's what makes a martial artist a martial artist. Um, when I retire from MMA, uh, that's not the end of my martial arts journey. You know, that's, the martial arts are not just something that you quit or give up. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to no. keep doing that until... You know, I always joke, you know, I want to be buried in my gi. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> or, or your leopard print singlet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's not to say that they're all wrestlers and boxers that have the same sort of mentality and the same sort of uh, dedication to their art. But I think oh, that's no, the- absolutely. But I think what you're talking about here is sort of a distinction between the sporting and, you know, if, if you're talking about a martial art as a self-defense and a life path and stuff, one of the primary things you learn is how to avoid a fight. You know, mm-hmm. you, you sublimate your own ego enough to where you don't fall for the predatory violence. I mean, not predatory, the, the dominance violence you know, stuff that you'll run across, you know, two guys chest puffing in the bar or whatever. Um, and, and that's, that's different than training. Like, okay, I'm going in a ring tomorrow and I'm going to fight this guy and it's all set up in a range and you know, there's going to be a fight, you know, just on that one level, there's a huge distinction between them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like I'm really taking the, the long winded approach, which, which David has already learned is my sort of my, Mo, but hey, we got we got uh, we've got time to fill, so don't worry about good, it. Roll, good. But that that to me is why I don't think the martial arts will ever get ever get edged at by MMA because because once you cut through the extreme marketing, once you cut through the tap out bro at the bar with his skull shiny skull T shirt on, and, and yeah. once you once you sort of part through those guys. I mean, I'm a fighter, and, and most of my friends are fighters, and I go all around the country, and I know I've been lucky to meet and to know other, you know, high-level fighters, even higher, you know, much higher level than me. And, um, you know, it's a mixed bag, but I'm here to tell you that some of these guys in the MMA, in the MMA scene, some of these guys in UFC, some of these guys in Bellator and Strikeforce, or, you know, Strikeforce is no more, but right. these guys see themselves as martial artists first. Um, you know, when you're young, when you're healthy, when you have the physical talents, um, the way that a martial artist makes it a good way for a martial artist to make his money is to fight. Um, but that doesn't mean that we still don't see ourselves as martial artists. Um, and I know a lot of guys and people that, you know, might surprise fans that, that, you know, you see them on TV and they're talking trash and they're beating their chest and they're, you know, doing right. all the things that you'd expect from a, from a, you know, just an athlete. Um, but they'll, they're very upfront telling me like, well, yeah, I got to do that to get paid. That's just what you do. This yeah. is better. Drumming up business. Yeah. Um, so, 
So, but the beauty of that is you can you can uh, you know if you're good enough to make your money fighting for a living and doing the sport thing, then you get to spend a lot more time training than the guy who just wants to be a martial artist but has sure. to spend eight or ten hours a day in his day job. Sure. I just, uh, just yesterday, actually, I took a trip. So I live in Louisville and uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, roughly two hours, maybe a little less from me, mm-hmm. drive. And um, there's a gym up there that has quite a few fighters. And, you know, for most of my career, when I have fights coming up, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time, I'll drive up there a few times a month to get extra sparring and to get extra work in. And I went up there yesterday and I took a couple fighters with me, we we had this same conversation. And I said, "You guys, you guys got to understand." They were asking me, "What's it like to be a pro?" And not just like, you know, pro just means you get paid to fight. I know a lot of guys right. that bust tables and they're quote pro fighters, but they were right. asking, "What's it like to be a full time pro fighter?" And I said, "Really, you, I'm not a pro fighter. I'm a professional exerciser. Um, I'm a professional <laughs> trainer." Uh, and and that's what really separates the guys that do this for real and the guys that you know, just want to have the, just want to have the image. And that's that if I was, you know, if I was still broke, if I was still bagging groceries or, you know, selling vitamins or whatever it was I've been, I've done throughout my adult life to scrape by, I'd still be working out, you know, as close to as much as I am now, you know, as much as I could. So that's just, it just eats me up. It's what I love to do. So that's, and, and, and when I'm injured, or, you know, my last fight, I broke my hand and had to have surgery. You know, I've got all these pictures of, of me at the gym in a gi with a cast on. You know, like, I wasn't yeah. obviously grappling, but I was learning. I was doing stuff. Um, yeah. So that's 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 the difference. Like you said, I just get to do it as much as you guys wish you could. <laughs> because exactly. It's, because it's Bastard. Job. Yeah. That's cool, though. That's really great to hear. That's that's an aspect. I'm I'm thankful for you to explain that because that's an aspect a lot of people uh, don't see. You know, they they may even uh, you know champion their favorite fighter in the UFC or in some MMA you know program that's going on, uh, but they're like, well, because of their you know antics and whatnot, I don't know if I like them as a person or whatever. But you know, they don't get to see anything but that, but that mm-hmm. entertainment value aspect. So it's great for people like yourself to explain that. Yeah, they consider themselves true warriors, true martial arts mm-hmm. part of their life. You know, yeah, a and lot of people don't hear that. Yeah, I've got a you know, and and I'm not saying that I judge those guys for doing it, and I definitely don't look down on them, and and you know, they're definitely making more money than me. A lot of them, uh, my my conscience won't let me do that to a certain degree. You know, like I've there have been certain sponsors that I've said, no thanks. Or there have been certain, you know, I've had shows ask if they could market me a certain way, or I've had photographers ask if they could take this kind of picture. And I've had to say, that's not, no, thank you. You know, and that's maybe to my detriment, but, um, but yeah, just, just because you see a guy, you know, banging his chest and acting like a, like a, a trained gorilla on TV doesn't mean that he doesn't have a little more going on underneath the surface. Yeah, and no matter how much they puff at each other during the weigh-ins, after the fight, almost all the time, it's a hug and a handshake, you know? Yeah, it's hard to hate somebody that you just fought. You know, it really is. Um, <laughs> yeah. When you shed blood with somebody like that, that's a really, that's that's an intimate thing. I mean, that's a that's a very real, visceral, primal experience. And trust that's me, I've had a lot of fights. And it's very, it's very, very intimate. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, the the... 
the sporting martial arts are embedded in our culture and our psyche from way back because everybody, even if you've just got a buddy that you've been in three or four fist or made a friend by getting in a fist fight. That's one of those funny things that happens sometimes when you're young, you know, you, you pick a fight with some guy or he picks one with you. And after you beat on each other for about five minutes, you're like, Oh shit, we need to stop this and go get a beer. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) you see that even in the movies too, sometimes when, you know, the, the, really uh, opponents of each other you know they hate each other but they're really awesome skilled supposedly and then but you see that level of respect you know and and they and they don't want to take that last step because they have that much respect for him yeah yeah that's a good point you were about to say something there i think we cut you off oh no i was just we're we're agreeing with one another i mean it's oh, okay. uh, Oh, yeah, I guess the the thing that I would say that maybe you guys would think is funny is it's only happened once. I'm friends with a lot of people that I fought, like we fought and then became friends. Um, but there's two really funny examples that a lot of people that aren't fighters don't understand. Uh, I fought a, another professional fighter from here in Louisville named John Troyer. We were friends before we fought, and that was kind of an interesting situation because um, that was when Bellator came to Louisville, so they picked two of the two of the better known local MMA fighters, myself and him. And we had that's who puts events. butts in the seats, yeah, the local and guys. We, uh, exactly. And so um, there were a few promotional events, a venue a couple days before, and there was, uh, you know, obviously we had weigh-ins, and we were seeing each other around, and it was just a different experience. You're used to a guy like mean mugging you, or maybe, you know, how are you going to react? And I remember joking with John. Um, I actually had a I actually had a, uh, a a tattoo session to start the I've got the solar system tattooed. My, my lower leg is is wrapped in the solar system. And the yeah, first session nice for that, cool. Oh, thank you, thank you. And the first session was set for the day after our fight. And I remember turning to John and telling him that, and being like, "Yeah, so if you could not break my left leg, that would be fantastic. Like if you could break <laughs> my right leg, you know." And uh, it's a funny thing, and just. I hadn't seen him much since, and just the other week he walked in and, and came into the gym, and uh, he's been training elsewhere, but now that I am where I am, you know, he's coming over and starting to train a little bit with us, and uh, it was it was just a funny experience. We're, we're grappling, and, I, and I, I catch him in an arm bar, which is how I beat him in our fight, and I, I caught him in this in this, this uh, similar arm bar, and he, you know, he made some joke, like, there you go, arm bar, and me again, you know, like this, <laughs> I think... People are, people are surprised to find that. The other one that I like is uh, a gentleman by the name of Doug Lima, who's actually a really well-known um, MMA fighter now and, and uh, one of the better-known ones. Probably, prestige-wise, the best win on my career. I beat him when we were both kind of coming up through the ranks uh, in a show back in Atlanta where he's from. And uh, Yeah, the name sounded of, familiar. I, I think yeah, yeah. Around. He's yeah. actually headlining the card. The next fight that I'm on uh, is September 20th. And he is the main event of that card, but we're we're signed to the same organization. Um, we have the same manager. When he signed to the organization, his press release was Doug Lima signed to Bellator. And then, of course, the next question is, "Oh, is there anybody in Bellator you'd like to fight?" Yeah, I'd like another crack at Brent Weedman. And we yeah. see each other around shows all the time. Um, you know, and that's and again, that's a rematch that could very likely happen. And he's a buddy. Like I talk to him. You know, he's, he's getting ready to have his kid. I try and keep up with that. And right. you know, it's it's just a funny thing. And uh, you know, a lot of people. Are, his brother even was confused with me. He said, "I don't understand how you're so nice to everybody." And I said, "Let me ask you a question. Uh, your brother, when he fights me, 
you going to take it easy on me? And he laughs. Like, no. I'm like, well, I got, I'm not going to take it easy on him either. It's just business. It's just a sport. We're yeah, it's the wolf and the sheepdog, right? Sure. Clocking in, we're clocking out. I mean, we're just pit bulls. It's in our DNA to fight, and then we, you know, and then we lick our wounds and hang out. It's just, it's just how it is. So, um, the only thing that I have to be respectful of, for example, with Doug Lima, is I'm friends with a lot of the guys um, in his city. He trains with a lot of great fighters, and if the situation was a little different. I would go down there. That would be a gym that I would travel to and train with. But out of respect for a future rematch, you know, I sort of keep my distance and, uh, and, you know, sort of, you know, I don't want to crowd his space and, and, you know, cause then he'd have to worry like, Oh man, is he, is he paying attention to what I'm doing? Is he taking notes or whatever? So right. that's the only unfortunate thing. We won't get to train together much until either the rematch happens or, you know, one of us changes weight classes or something, but <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, maybe, hopefully he'll hurry up and get on that. That sounds like it'd be a fun one to watch. Yeah, yeah, it would be. It would be. One of us is going home on our shield, I'll tell you that much. He's a, he's a tough, <laughs> tough dude. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, um, so uh, it's uh, we've talked to a lot of people who have uh, you know fought in different types of combat sports, but uh, you're one of the few that's still active in that, so... Kind of give our listeners, if you can, an idea of what it's like to be in the ring, what it's like to score a knockout on somebody in one of those cages, or to be knocked out yourself, because I think it's probably happened to you at least once, right? It, it actually, I've actually been knocked out one time, but never in MMA. And in fact, uh, this is probably the first time I've publicly said that, because I'm proud of the fact I've never been knocked out. But when I was a teenager, <laughs> I fought in a karate tournament in France, a full contact karate tournament, and I knocked my first opponent out. And my second opponent, who was Japanese, not French, I would like to point out, uh, he knocked me out. So it has happened. Um, getting knocked out is easy. You wake up and you go, he knocked me out, huh? And he said, yeah, and then we went and got a beer. It was, it, that's how that worked. Um, right. To knock somebody out is really, um, it's a great feeling, especially afterwards. But I got to tell you, for me, the submission is so much greater of a feeling. It's so much more enjoyable, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because it's never the blow that you think you, that you're. The, it's never the, the punch or the kick that you're throwing that you think, "Oh, this one." It's never that one that knocks him out. It's always the first or second punch in a four punch combination or something. Every time I've ever right. dropped anybody, um, which I, you know has been quite a few times, I've dropped somebody and it took my brain half a second to go, "Oh, oh, he's down." In an MMA, you know, you have to follow up. There's no standing eight count. Right. So that's uh, even some of the highlight reel knockouts that I've had, the really good looking ones where because they're so surprising, it's sort of like, uh, oh, oh, it's over. Like it's, it's, it's a very odd feeling to me. You're almost as surprised as the guy that just got knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But when you submit somebody, most of the time, you know, there's an old adage that, the, you know, position before submission, you have to, you have to solidify your positioning before you worry about you know, getting the arm or whatever. So there's a moment and sometimes it's even two or three moves ahead of when it happens that, you know, well, the fight's over, you know, as soon as you lock that triangle, as soon as you grab the wrist a certain way, 
Um, you know, my last submission was a gentleman named JJ Ambrose. I choked him out with that blood choke, actually, that I showed you, David, at uh, yeah, AM. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to tell everybody about the the Weedman choke and how that evolved <laughs> here in just yeah. a second. But go ahead and finish your story. Sure. Um, but when I submitted him with that, he was trying to he was trying to choke me with what's called a guillotine choke, and I mm-hmm. have a very particular way that I set up that that um that counter to it. And I wasn't even really in position for it yet, but I knew. And in my brain, I'm like having a party, like, I've got him, I've got him, I've got him, I've got him. (laughs) So it's so much more enjoyable to to catch somebody like that and then to make the, you know, you set the choke in and then, you know, it's like Ron Pompeo. You just, you set it and forget it. You know, you just set the (laughs) choke and you wait for him to pass out or tap out. And that's just a really, you know, you get to enjoy it right then. It's much more (laughs) enjoyable at the moment, you know. And then there's also the thing about, you know, nobody chooses to be knocked out, to go unconscious, but you have to, to make another man tap you and say, okay, please stop. <laughs> please don't yeah. kill me. Please don't break my arm. Um, I don't, you know, there's something primal about that too, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Although it makes me sound like a bully, I guess, but it is it's no. great fun. No, no, we, we all enjoy that. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, let, let's explain to people what the, the, the Weedman choke is. And obviously you didn't invent this choke. Uh, no, no. But uh, if somebody becomes... wanted to see it, they would have to look up the Von Flew choke. Uh, it was made popular by a, a UFC fighter named Jason Von Flew. Um, and then I used it in my fight. Uh, the, the announcers had no idea what it was. It's not a very common choke. Um, but all the guys at my gym sure knew what it was as I was setting it up. Oh, that's that crazy choke that Brent catches us in. And, uh, so then, then, you know, the sort of running joke around our gym is you call that the Weedman choke. Um, it's a, it's a blood choke wherein, uh, your opponent thinks that he's going to choke you. He has you in a headlock essentially. Mm-hmm. And the shoulder of the arm that he is trying to choke you with, you actually end up pressing that into one of his carotid arteries. And then you use your other shoulder you use one of your shoulders to close off the other carotid choke. And it's a very, very, it's a very slick blood choke because it doesn't particularly hurt. And a lot of times guys can breathe while you do it. Um, yeah. So people, I, I'm very, very conscious when I teach this move to say, pay attention to your opponent because guys go unconscious all the time, all the they time. Sneak up choke. on you. Sure. Yeah. There's a funny video on YouTube of, um, you know, a relatively well-known female jiu-jitsu player, and she's teaching a little, like, she showed up at a, at Ryan Hall's gym. Ryan Hall's a, a yeah, pretty famous Yeah, we, we've talked player. to Ryan. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, Ryan Hall is, is she's demonstrating this choke, another variation of it, on Ryan Hall at his gym. And, again, so you've talked to him. You know he's absolutely no slouch. And you no. hear a guy in the background go, uh, Ryan's out. And they slowly <laughs> go, and he's sure enough, he's asleep, and he wake. Oh, what happened? Oh, I went out. Oh, okay, sorry. Keep going, and uh, it's a it's a fun choke. Yeah, it's really cool. You know, I, I obviously I I never I have next to no ground grappling formal training at all, so I I never seen that. But you you let me put you in the headlock and get down on the floor in the in the in the green room there at Tam, which was a lot of fun, and and uh, drop that sucker on me, and uh, uh, it. I've uh, I've seen that choke before though, but in a standing position. Yeah, like oh. you can you know inside parry, slip a punch, and then wrap around from the side and kind of drag them out sideways, but stay on your feet. So it's funny how all these things just sort of translate through the ranges. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, 
It is. It's essentially, um, most people would know, like, the uh, the head and arm triangle choke kind of, you know, there's a no- number of different ways to say it. And it really is. It's just a cousin to that move. It's it's that move, but that person's hand is wrapped around your neck instead of, instead of you know slipping a punch. They'd be trying to grab you. So right, um, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a fun move. I really I enjoy it. I actually caught in my last fight. I caught uh, Marius Saramski's in it, um, very early in the first round, and remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I've got it again. It's over again. I can't believe it. And. uh I made a technical error on it that, uh, that I didn't realize until, you know, until I went back and watched the video. So I was really dejected. I had him and his head turned bright purple and he never tapped out. And I thought, man, after holding it for 45 seconds or a minute, I finally had to move on. And, right. uh, yeah, I had to go back and learn, Oh, this is the mistake I made. So, uh, I'm much better at it now. I would imagine than I was before. Cool. Well, right on. So, um, how uh let's let's go ahead and talk a little bit we'll get some reflections from you what uh how did you get involved with the the amazing meeting and what was that experience like for you i mean again i was there so i think i have an idea but uh you know go ahead and tell the listeners because that's an interesting part of your background how you even got involved with that yeah um well as i mentioned before i was i was raised um by very very religious parents um i was uh you know and when i explain that to people and they'll say, oh, yeah, we went to church all the time, too. I have to say, no, religion wasn't something in our family. It's the only thing. I mean, it's the it's the, the foundation of, of my family's existence. And so uh, it was a very, very big deal. Um, as I learned more, you know, and, and read more on my own, and, you know, learned that, for example, the Earth is not 6,000 years old, which was shocking to learn at, like, 20 years old or however old I was. Wow. Right, like, so we're talking a very fundamentalist, strictly biblical, very, literalist very religion. Yes, yes. Okay. W- wonderful people, by the way, I need to say. like, Oh, yeah, I mean, no, there's a lot of people I, in my family that were like that, too. Exactly, exactly. I, well, and I, I feel bad talking about this thing and, and sounding like I'm slagging my family off. They're just, they're wonderful people. You know, we we disagree about this, but... Yeah. Um, so, in the age of the Internet, you can only, you know, when you learn, when you're reading... Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson and, you know, Phil Platt, and I'm reading all these, uh, astronomy was the, was, was my first, you know, the first branch of science that I was really interested in. And then reading some of these other, um, you know, scientists that are involved in the skepticism movement in the age of the internet, it's only so, it's so much time before you learn that there is a skepticism movement and, you know, and you can't really talk about the skepticism movement without talking about James Randi and, uh, so that's how I learned about the James Randi Educational Foundation. And uh, I had this idea before my last fight, you know, I really, I think, yeah, I'm certainly certainly not famous or any, any stretch of the imagination, but I do have an element of like, I'm in the public eye a little bit with my, with what I do. And Bellator had sort of grabbed on to my love of science. That was like going to be my shtick. You can look back through some of my promos. I think some of them are on YouTube some of my pre-fight promos where, you know, they're having me talk about Sagan and they're having me talk about these various things. Um, that actually came up because while waiting to do a photo shoot for Bellator, they were setting up cameras and they looked over, I was reading, I knew I was going to be there for a while. So I brought a book and they said, right. what are you, what are you reading? And I was reading, uh, Jerry Coyne's why evolution is true. 
who I actually got to meet at Tam this year. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, you know, I got to I got to kiss his butt a little bit and tell him how great his book was and how important that that stuff was to me. But uh, nevertheless, they thought that was so interesting. So it just sort of dawned on me, I, you know, there's I have a sense of responsibility. I need to I need to do something to give back. It, it can't just be the Brent Wheatman show. Like I have to do something. So I thought, well, I wonder if the JREF would be interested. I mean, I know I, I'm certain that they're not marketing to the MMA crowd, you know, the, the 18 to 34 year old male. So let me, um, you know, maybe I'm totally expecting them to say, no way, you know, crazy cage fighter, get away kind of thing. And I wrote the JREF website, just contact us. And I said, hi, I've got a fight. It'll be, um, you know, it ended up being aired online, but, you know, they have a, a, a thing with, uh, uh, Spike TV. So Bellator was on Spike TV. They were on MTV2 for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, they get pretty good viewing or ratings. And I said, you know, would you mind if I used your all's logo? And DJ Growth wrote me back and said, you know, he was very excited about it. What a great idea, blah, blah, blah. And I put him, bam, right, right smack dab in the middle of my thigh, right front and center of my shorts. Um, <laughs> and uh, they were on my banner. And it was a great opportunity for me to just I'm not trying to preach to anybody about what I believe, because that's not the point of the skepticism movement. The point of the, the point of skepticism is to be skeptical, to be to to ask questions. And so yeah. I'm just trying to inspire, especially the younger men that are into MMA. I mean, that's a, that's a, a prime age. To, you need to start asking some questions. So it was a great opportunity for people to say, "Well, what's with the the bearded guy on your banner? What's with JREF? What's that all about? You know, edu- the Educational Foundation? What are you a teacher like?" No, no, it's about this, it's about that. And it was a great opportunity for me to sort of spread the word. Um, and DJ wrote me and said, would you be interested in coming to TAM? And, uh, of course, at this point, I knew what TAM was. I was very excited about it, but I did. I said yes, but was secretly terrified because I thought, you know, keynote speakers have been like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye. I think Richard Dawkins has been through once or twice. Of course, Randy, like, what in the hell am I going to talk about at TAM? Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they said they wanted to do the, a couple things on martial arts. And you know, the theme this year was fighting the fakers, and that sort of fit in. And, um, man, I got to tell you, it was just one of the most affirming things I've ever done with my career. It was really just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, nothing but positive. And uh, all I can hope is that I get an opportunity to do something like that again. They sounded interested in maybe maybe doing something next year, and uh, even if not, I might just might just go. I mean, it was a it was a really really wonderful experience. It totally exceeded my expectations. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I think uh, the feedback so far has been really positive about the panels that we did, and people just loved you, man. Uh, I've seen you <laughs> mentioned in several blog posts about it since. Uh, you know, just for being funny and a natural talker and just, you know, spot on with that stuff. So good work. Well, thank you. Thank you. I was terrified. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's a lot I was easier actually... to... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's, it's, it's a lot easier to strip down to your underwear on TV and just fight another guy. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's easy. You know, like talking in front of Michael Shermer was like, you know, very nerve wracking. Like what the hell do I have to tell this guy? This is impressive. So... It was, uh, right, but you know he didn't know he didn't know much about martial arts in the MMA world and stuff. Apparently, and he, he seemed had, to be, I, I said the whole weekend that DJ found the one thing, the one thing in the entire freaking universe that I have any idea about, like that I have anything to say about. So I uh, couldn't have been happier. 
Yeah. Well, a good time was had by all on that. Although I feel like a dickhead for not being able to get into the workout that day. <laughs> oh, yeah. I felt so terrible about that. We, and we were just just 10 feet away from where you were locked out of the gym. We were just, you know, rolling around and people picking my brain about different questions and different, different, uh, you know, mostly jujitsu stuff and uh, Evan, Evan's wife is a Krav Maga instructor and is getting ready to take some, some certification test on ground fighting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I don't know much about much, but I'm comfortable saying that I know a little bit about fighting on the ground. So, uh, it was, it was fun to just like, I'm a martial arts nerd at the heart of it. I just like talking theory and talking techniques and talking ideas. And that's what we did. I'm, just, I'm sorry you weren't a part of it. Oh, well, it was Here. my own stupid fault, I think, in the end. But, you know, I, I had no idea. Oh, whatever. We, we don't need to drag through this. But, hey, at least we had that moment on the floor in the green room. You know, we'll we'll cherish that always. In the, in the green room. <laughs> oh, boy. So um, so what are your goals moving forward in your career now? I know you've got another fight coming up here soon. You want to tell us what that's going to look like and, and maybe what you're looking at moving forward? Yeah, they actually just announced it. Um, Bellator, for those of you who don't know, the, their their niche, their shtick, I guess you could say, is that as opposed to, you know, what a lot of people think of when they think of title shots, you know, people to follow combat sports, when you talk about somebody that's like the number one contender, that's very much a political statement. Um, right. it, it's not always straightforward. Sometimes there's a guy that's, that's number five that beat the guy that's number one contender or something like that. It's it, it very much, you can get a title shot by being very handsome, by being very outgoing, by being, you know, if you're going to sell, yeah, yeah. sell a bunch of pay-per-view fights, you're going to get, or pay-per-view buys, you're going to get a fight. Uh, Bellator mm-hmm. doesn't work like that. Bellator has an eight-man tournament for every weight class. They run seasons. Every season they run a, they have a, a tournament for each weight class. And uh, it's three fights in three months. They call it the, the most brutal tournament in sports or something. I'm here to tell you it's absolutely brutal. Um, I fought in four-man tournaments where I had two fights in the same night. Um, when I fought in Japan, uh, I won, when I was 19, I won the, the Biakran All Japan Open. And I had five fights in a single day. Um, and I had a first round bye. It was a huge tournament. There's nothing I've done that's more tough than than making it to the finals of, of the Bellator tournament. It's a fight and, and a weight cut, by the way, which is a big part of the sport. It's a, a weight cut and a fight every month for four mo- or for three months. It's, it's, you know, if you're cut, well, maybe there'll be an extra week to let that cut heal, but it's just, you got to get in there and do it. So, um, so the quarterfinals of this next tournament are September 20th. I'm fighting Justin Baseman out of Northern California. He's a, he's a really tough guy. And, uh, so the winner of that fight, if I win, I'll have four to five weeks. It, it, you know, it depends on how the season works, but you know, roughly a month and uh, before the semifinals. If you win that fight, you get another four weeks or whatever it is, and uh, and then the finals. I think for this tournament will be in Atlantic City. My next fight's in Phoenix. So if any listeners in Phoenix, Arizona, should come out and say, "Hey, hell but, yeah!" Uh, if you win the tournament. Um, there's a there's a lot of money in the tournament. They call it the hundred thousand dollar tournament. All three fights together are worth a uh, hundred thousand dollars, and uh, and you're the next title. You get the next title fight. It doesn't matter if anybody knows you. The the guy that's got a title fight, I think, coming up this week or next week is the next title fight in my weight class. Uh, he's a Russian guy who most people can't pronounce his name, much less know it. 
And he's incredibly a tough fighter. He ran through the tournament. It doesn't matter that not many people know who he is. He gets the title shot. That's how that works. So what's next cool. for me is winning the tournament, winning the title. That's, that's, that's my goal. That's, that's all of our goal. But that's, that's what I see in my future. Nice. Nice. And so uh, um, once you've won the title, then you basically, as the tournament progresses through the next round, they send your next opponent to you, whoever comes out of that. Is that how that works? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a little interesting the first couple of seasons for Bellator, because that was the next question. It's a great question. It's, you know, fight fans will go, okay, well, then what champion do? Right. For a while, they had super fights. They, had, uh, they would bring in usually a well-known fighter, Typically, usually somebody that was, you know, maybe a few years past their prime, but still really tough, you know, tough fights, and give them to the champion. The problem with that was the belt wasn't on the line. So if the champion were to lose, he might lose some credibility, but he doesn't lose the title. And and more importantly, the other guy doesn't win the title. So a lot of people didn't really like that. Um, it looks like the long-term vision of Bellator is really working out, though, because you know this. My next fight is going to be on the hundredth show, the hundredth show of Bellator, um, and they really did step it up because the the show itself. I mean, there's there's going to be four or five televised fights. I mean, it's just there's a lot of really really good fights on this card. Um, but by a hundred shows, I think in their like their seventh season or something. Uh, now they're just churning out contenders, so. A champion can expect to fight two or three times a year. And that's, you know, that's what you'd expect. That's, that's about that's, right. Yeah, that's about right. Twice a year for a champion is, uh, is a pretty good clip. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm looking to do. I mean, it, obviously the belt is, is uh, talking about the belt is putting the carriage before the horse. But that's, that's all of our goal. I mean, I don't, I don't fight to lose. Eyes so. on the prize, man. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. And this term is going to be brutal, but I've had, uh, I've had eight months since my last fight. I broke my hand. I had to have surgery, so I had a, a bit of a layoff. But I've had a, a good long time to, to build up my body and to work with my strength and conditioning coaches. And, you know, I got a few tricks up my sleeve. I'm, I'm ready to get back out there and, and, you know, it's like the grand science experiment. My body is my favorite science experiment. So I, I get to <laughs> make my little tweaks and changes and then go out and show the world what I've done. And that's that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a good time. Sweet. Oh, just some of the stuff uh, you were talking about uh, when we were out in Vegas about the, the links and the, the processes people go through doing cuts. You know, I've never been in that world. It just blew my mind. Mm, yeah, it's, the, it's really rough. I mean... I don't cut nearly as much weight as, as most fighters do. Um, there was a very brief time in my career that I did uh, before I had the strength and conditioning coaches that I have now to tell me, stop doing that, that's stupid, um, you know, for a little while. And I was much smaller than I was now. But uh, I, I, for three fights, I cut to 155 pounds. That was my, I was a lightweight for just a few months. And, you know, Dave met me. I'm, I'm not a 155-pound individual. It was no. cut. And uh, I think from my absolute biggest to my absolute smallest, I was cutting almost 40 pounds. So, yeah, I think your skull weighs 50 pounds. I don't see how you did that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a large-headed individual. That's correct. But, uh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> the, yeah, fighters cut tons of – I mean, there's – and I'm not going to, like, call these out or drop names, but there, I know more than one 170-pound fighter. That's my weight class now, welterweight, 170 pounds. Mm-hmm. I know more than one fighter that two or three months out of a fight might weigh as much as 220 pounds. Um, it, it wow. It's really – 
not as uncommon as you would think. Uh, one of the guys that's fighting for a title either this week or the next just did an interview where he said he was standing in line at a buffet when they, he got the call and said, okay, here's your title fight. He'd already won a tournament. He was about five weeks out, and he weighed 205 pounds. The fight's at 155. So in oh five weeks, God. he's going to cut 50 pounds. So we'll see how that, you know, that's just because it can be done doesn't mean that it needs to be done, I guess. No. Yeah, and I've, I, you know, I've read a lot of research that, you know, Hell's basically that. says, yeah, that yo-yoing weight uh, is worse than just being overweight in a lot of, for a lot of outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, I wonder if that's something that, that, you know, as people age, I guess if you stop doing it and you haven't suffered any damage up to that point, you're probably okay, you know? I hope so. That's what I'm hoping. Um, you know, the yo-yoing weight for me, the one thing people don't understand, though, you know, because I might, you know, again, from largest to smallest, you might still be talking 20 pounds, 30 pounds, something like that. But what they need to understand is when I'm in decent shape, I weigh, you know, in the high 80s, 190 or somewhere in there. Right. But when I'm in fight shape, you know, for the kind of shape that it takes to, to be at that, you know, upper echelon, that is not a sustainable fitness level. That's a fitness level that you peak at. And uh, when I peak at that level of fitness, I'm much, much closer to my competition weight. And uh, so it's not, the, you know, I, we always joke as fighters, my absolute least favorite question is, uh, yo, bro, what do you walk around at? What do you weigh? You know, guys, for whatever reason, are just insanely interested in how much I weigh at any given time. <laughs> but, uh, but they, you know, it's, it's, that's something that guy, a lot of guys don't see. You know, there's a difference between being in shape and, and even, you know, being skinny enough to have, like, six-pack or something. There's a difference between that and being in fight shape. And that's a, that's a right. whole other animal. And there's some people, even when they're in fight shape, don't have a six pack. You know, it's true. It's very, you're not going to hit somebody with your ab muscles, bro. No, no, you're not. No, you're not <laughs> at all. Well, unless you're coming off the top rope, but I think that's a different <laughs> game. <laughs> that's a different. That's a different sport. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, you know, I we try not to keep our guests on the phone all damn night because we know you have lives and and uh, you've got a young son and another one on the way. Uh, congratulations once again on that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I'm very sympathetic to your plight because I've got a young son and another one on the way myself. So <laughs> y'all can oh, have yeah. it. I'm sticking at one. Yeah, thanks. Um, but uh, before we let people go, we always try to dig one extra story out of them, either swap and paint, uh, which is just what we call um, this can either be about a fight or not a fight, but at some point where your martial arts training has really met the you know, gotten gotten down to basics in reality and served you in some fashion. Um, or uh, we also like feet of clay stories. We, you know, where the the great martial arts master does something foolish and we can all laugh about it. So, do you have anything like that you want to share with us? Let me see. Well, the funny thing is, I'm, I'm actually uh, I always joke, but it's not really a joke. Outside of the ring, I'm kind of a pacifist. Uh, I don't I don't fight outside of the ring pretty much ever. Um, my, well, look, oh, the better people are at fighting almost u- universally, the less they fight. Whether exactly, exactly. Um, and just being fit and alert from it, traditional martial arts cuts way down on how many people are going to pick you as a victim, you know? You're absolutely correct. And, and when you train to fight people that know how to fight, uh, fighting people that don't know how to fight isn't really an interesting proposition for me. No. <laughs> right. um, well, this is, a, this is a kind of small one, and, and it might be the closest thing to a street fight I ever had. A good example of when my, when my martial arts, like you said, got me out of a fight. 
Yeah. Um, I was much, much younger, probably in middle school. Um, and the rule of the house was if you, I mean, I wouldn't have gotten in trouble for fighting, but it was very much impressed upon me that, you know, I have, I have a knowledge base that other people don't have. If you use your martial arts, you damn well better have a good reason for it or else you're going to be, you know, in big trouble. You'll be held to a higher account. In other words, don't be a bully, but it was, it was, you know, right. very, very important to me. So I was almost afraid to fight. Um, <laughs> and one of my favorite examples of this was, um, I was at a summer camp, I believe, and some of the details are a little hazy, but what I remember crystal clear was the moment where I, this kid's jawing at me and he's running his mouth and things like this don't bother me. I don't fight, you know, I don't really fight over words, but, but then he starts coming towards me and I start panicking a little bit like, oh no, oh no, I'm going to fight this kid. What's going to happen? And he's MF this and F you and he, and he, goes to shove me with both hands, just like shove me in the chest. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I did the only thing I could think to do. And that's as his hand was grabbing my shirt, kind of, I wrist locked him hard. Um, but instead of wrist locking him and, you know, continuing the wrist lock, it was sort of like a jerk and release. Ah, right. it's and, and he collapses to the ground and quickly jumps up and he's holding his wrist. And I remember his eyes were like dinner plates and, he was like, man, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, I'm going to beat your ass. I'm going to this and that. And as not with that hand, stuff, <laughs> as he's saying all this stuff, he's kind of walking away and alternatingly looking at me and looking at his wrist. Like, what is this voodoo that he just did to me? <laughs> um, some of you traditional martial artists that maybe have done some of those, you know, any sort of wrist locking, though, that's a special kind of pain. It hurts really bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the smaller and, um, the joint, the worse the hurt. And oh, the yeah. And I, I remember, like, just wrist-locking him. He falls to the ground. He tells me about how he's going to do this, that, and the other thing to me as he's, like, dragging his limp arm away, thinking, uh, whoa, what is this black magic? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I didn't have to fight him. It, it kind of got me out of that. Very yeah, cool. he didn't come back for a rematch, did he? No, didn't, no. Didn't I mean, follow through that, on any of those promises he made to try to save face as he slunk away. <laughs> exactly right. If somebody thinks that you know something that they don't, ninety percent of the time that'll get you out of the fight. So that's, that was so that's my that's my swapping pain story. All right, that's awesome. That fits right in with Very what we cool. do here. Um, well, damn, it's been awesome talking to you again, Brent. And I want to make sure we stay in touch. Uh, we've got several uh, mutual interests, but uh, before we get off here. Tell everybody where, you know, give all the digits on where to follow you and how to how to keep up with your career and all that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, anybody that's listening, I would I would encourage to follow me on Twitter. Um, MMA is one of those sports that, uh, whether I like it or not, exists in the social media realm, so I'm active all around. Uh, Brent underscore Weedman is my Twitter handle. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at Brent Weedman. Um and you guys can add me there. And we're working on a website now, so uh, that'll be up. And, and, of course, when that is up and running, uh, I'll make that known through my Twitter and Facebook pages. So um, feel free to reach out. I have fans reaching out to me all the time from all over the place, and uh, and I love it. And and the best part is I'm not famous enough that I won't write back to you. <laughs> so if you, <laughs> cool. you want to say, hey, if you want to ask me a question, if you want to just drop me a line and, and – uh, I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not famous enough to take it for granted. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'll definitely write you back. and And I appreciate you guys having me on. I love talking about the martial arts, and I love what you guys are doing. Well, awesome, man! And I, you know, frankly, I I think you're such a sweetheart. Even if you do become the the reigning 
uh, King Hell champion of the world, you're still going to talk to us little people. You, <laughs> I'll talk to you guys anytime you want. No problem at all. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. And we are back. Yes, we are. We barely made it out of there, man. A bunch of Bellators flying in the trees. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that does sound dangerous. It does indeed. Well, in any event, it's news, newsy, news, news time with uh, your intrepid uh, reporter, Craig Keesling. Hi, folks. As you all are well aware in the most recent happenings in the news, we got a new baby on the scene. That's right. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge uh, have a new child upon the world i knew they were going to name him after a beetle yeah they they should have they should have either that or me i mean it was it was down to those two prince craig yeah, yeah that's got a run to it it does indeed <laughs> it rhymes with eggs and i really like eggs you do like eggs yes indeed well they are not believed to have hired a nanny yet and it remains to be seen whether they will break with royal tradition and raise the future king without one however hmm if they do need a 21st century Mary Poppins who can perform martial arts and driving stunts as well as changing nappies, a school in Bath, England has plenty of candidates for them. Tried at Norland College, prospective nannies learn traditional child care and cooking skills that have been taught at the school since it was founded back in 1892. But they also learn modern techniques to help protect the rich and famous. Trainees pay $55,000 for the four-year course, learning skills like first aid, sewing, and cooking, in addition to self-defense and driving. In the second year of the course, students learn from a stunt driver on the Castlecombe Racing Circuit in Wiltshire about how to handle a car in all kinds of situations, from icy roads to potential kidnappers to pursuing paparazzi. So that's yeah. something for you guys, you know. If you're really looking for a career change, <laughs> you know, I might could use one. And those things, you know, civilians can go take courses like that here in America and other places, too. Yes, they like can. Crazy driving courses or, well, obviously, martial arts classes. Mm -hmm. That's a crazy driving course in its own right. One of my students is, like all of my students have niche knowledge specialties. And one of them, he's the youngest one. He's like, he knows everything about, you know, car racing and everything. It's trippy. Moving along, at the temple, that's right, Shaolin Temple, as you all know, has become a popular tourist destination, grossing last year in ticket sales alone $24.4 million U.S. dollars. Mm. The government, of course, taking 70%. Recently, during some renovation work on the temple, hidden cameras were found in the abbot's bedroom, with one pointed directly at his bed. Completely unrelated, of course, in 2011, it was said that Abbot Shri Yongshin, otherwise known as the CEO Abbot, right. had a mistress who was a student at Peking University and that he had U.S. dollars, three billion deposited overseas. <laughs> what? Yes, indeed. <laughs> wow. The mistress and an illegitimate son were said to be living in Germany and a temple spokesman had said that the rumor was not even worth responding to. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, those stories are completely unrelated, and of course, just rumors. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, well. We'll just let that one go for now. <laughs> I think we should. Court McGee competes in the welterweight division of the UFC and is a former alcohol and heroin addict. McGee recently gave back by speaking to dozens of inmates at the San Luis Obispo County Jail in San, California. Yeah. You know that place. San Luis Obispo. There you go. Or slow. Yep. Slow. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was sharing his life story with him um, after he was declared dead, basically, from a heroin overdose about how he's been clean since April 2006. So kudos to you for... Uh, being not one of those stories we're used to telling in the news. Yeah, no, we will report the positive people. Keep it coming. That's right. Do good out there. In other news in England, Tony Anthony's upcoming book and related DVD, Cry of the Tiger, is being withdrawn by the publishers, unfortunately. It was a follow-up to his internationally acclaimed book, Taming the Tiger, different from Hongar's first form, Mm -hmm. that launched him into religious stardom. In the book, taglined... From the depths of hell to the heights of glory, Anthony explains how he was taken to China by his grandfather, a Kung Fu grandmaster, and trained to become a martial arts champion. He then moved to Cyprus, where he became a bodyguard to businessmen, gangsters, and diplomats. Diplomats. Later, he recounted how he found God while in prison in Nicosia after being convicted. Man, of God must mess up a lot because people keep finding him in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. He was championed by the Evangelical Alliance, an influential organization representing two million Christians in the UK. However, recently, during an independent investigation into the accuracy of the book, found his autobiographical tales to be sketchy at best, with certain passages having been copied word for word from websites, books, and movies. Although he still stands by his claims, he also says, after much prayer, Avanti Ministries, which I have founded, have decided the time has come to close. And he acknowledges that the recent information that has been received about his earlier life, earlier life requires him to update and clarify the story a bit. Oh, yeah, just a bit. He's not been able to, been reached really for uh, comment. comment. You know what? Yeah. I guarantee you, though, this guy will be back. These oh, people yeah. are like unsinkable rubber ducks, you know, mm-hmm. and there's always somebody out there willing to, you know. Especially when you mix in religion. Bullshit. You can yeah. come back and say, well, now God really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you my story about. <laughs> no, it's good to have a story where you failed first. You That's know? right. They're all recovering something or others. Yeah, um, but he was making a lot of money, a mm-hmm. lot of famous. And, you know, he was talking to schools and churches and all that kind of stuff, making that's what, even if you're a believer, and that's cool, you know, don't don't give your money to God. He's not broke. That's right. Give yeah. it to Justin Bieber so you can be a believer. Yes. That's right. <laughs> In the military, the Air Force and Navy don't really offer official martial arts training programs. The Army, on the other hand, has its combatives focusing mainly on hand-to-hand combat, whereas the Marines have their MCMAP, Marine Corps, uh, something or another. Ooh, I which, wonder if uh, John Rankin, a former guest, the fighting preacher, is involved in that. He he might be involved in what? Let me get to the end of the story. You just know what I'm about to say. I know. <laughs> and all right, so the MC map of, of the Marines offers more training for the front line, weapons training, including bayonet and knife techniques, disarming, uh, adaptability in various situations, all that good stuff. Anyway, uh, all this kind of changed in Kuwait uh, earlier this month on July 9th. Certified instructors of both programs have joined together 
and they're opening their training to all service members of any branch willing to accept the challenge. Uh, we are all one team. Yes, we're separated by a branch of service, but our goals are the same. We, as a whole, serve the American way of life, said Sergeant Daniel A. Haney, Satellite Communications Systems Supervisor, 56th Signal Company, 54th Signal Battalion, 160th Signal Brigade. We'll have more on that in the show notes, as with all these stories. But that's a pretty yeah. interesting uh, thing. That's, yeah, cool. that's another cool story there. Yeah, and, we definitely need to talk to John and, and see if and, he, and see what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Time for a callback. Indeed. <laughs> in the media, we got some interesting things happening. The Weinstein Company and Celestial Pictures will remake The Avenging Eagle and Come Drink With Me. Ooh, I like a that. A pair of 1970s Shaw Brothers flicks. Another movie being remade is, wait for it, Bloodsport. In this reboot by Relativity Media, there's no mention of Frank Dukes, as in Put Up Your Dukes, nor the Kumite. Instead, the story is said to explore the life of 21st century mercenaries as they collide with the underground world of Brazilian Vale-to-Do fighting. Directed by James McTeague of V for Vendetta. Yeah, I know. That's a big name. It is. So it's going to be interesting. That actually sounds like an interesting take on it, too. It does, but it's it, it's just so different. But I, yeah, I like it. Well, the it. whole Frank Dukes story, half of that shit was made up, too. Well, so, yeah, but know. not put up your Dukes. No, no, that's that's legit. <laughs> My Dukes uh, are permanently up, by the way. That's right. And, and oh, how about the Chonkster or whatever it was, you know, with him flexing. <laughs> I love the little avatar that you see some people have. It's just a little animated gif of Van Damme screaming and then, uh, uh, oh, shit, what is his name? You call Big him? dude, yeah. I call yeah. him the Chonger, but I can't remember. Oh, it'll come to me. It'll come to me because you <laughs> fucked me up with that. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, uh, but Van Damme screaming a... into a microphone and he's beating a drum kit. Yeah. <laughs> it's Sweet. hilarious. Sweet. <laughs> Uh, There's cheesy movies, but mm-hmm. man, you know, in my in my youth, that shit. Dude, just I went made and saw so Bloodsport in the movie on Holcomb Bridge Road. I remember that. I loved it, man. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. little monkey style African dude and whatever. Yep. Anyway, All right, moving along. Yeah, another movie. You may remember the action star packed movie, The Expendables. Well, Expendables three set to hit theaters on August fifteenth, twenty fourteen. Features an interesting cast. The old crew is going to be there still. Sly Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jason Statham, Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture, and Terry Crews. Stallone said they needed some new blood for the new film. And so they have added Jackie Chan, Wesley Snipes, Ronda Rousey of the MMA fame, and former welterweight boxing champ Victor Ortiz. Wow. Yeah. Other rumored stars to be joining the movie that have either been ruled out or awaiting confirmation. Basically, you know, juries out on these guys are Kellen Lutz, Steven Seagal. Yes. Fatty I showed him that, by the way. I hope you did. <laughs> I call him Fatty Boom Batty, but he doesn't Aww. like that. Mel Gibson. There goes our chance of getting Seagal on the show. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. He's doing, he's doing political stuff in East Europe. He still loves us. That's right. Mel Gibson, Nick Cage. And Resident Evil star Mila Jovovich. Yeah, you know, that's cool. I'm glad to get Ronda Rousey on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd heard Jackie Chan was going to be in this one too. I just got finished telling you Jackie Chan was going to. Oh, be in you this did one. say Jackie Chan. Okay, yeah. sorry. Hey, it's like uh, being I, I, at a karaoke bar. So many names. What you want to hear, Jackie Chan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, I want real country music. Give me some Jackie Chan. Yeah, buddy. Bollywood's famous 
Indian actress Madhuri Dixit Nene is currently, you know, I probably just butchered her name, I apologize, like she's listening, is currently yeah. under the training of Shaolin Kung Fu Master Shurfu Kanishka, also known as Kanishka Sharma. The dancing diva is played playing the leading role in her comeback film Gulab Gang. Based on real-life Gulabi Gang, which is a group of Indian women vigilantes and activists oh, yeah. dressed in pink saris fighting against the social injustice with women in Uttar Pradesh. Yeah, where yeah. You, uh, in a place where you can rape women to death on a bus and not go to jail. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, yeah. That, anyway. That, no, that's, that's cool, actually. It is. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Plus, I love, you know, we've never really talked about this much, but there's some... I'll mix that into the media mop-up at some point. There's there some really is. good Bollywood action movies and stuff There is. There. It's just the dancing and singing and the, you know, whatever. I love whatever. watching hot Indian chicks uh, dance. You just like your Bangladeshi programs, I know. Yep. Jackie Chan, again, Jackie Chan. This is not a karaoke bar, but... Two for... Hey. <laughs> will be appearing, however... Dude, you know, this always happens several times a year. Jackie Chan's dead. It's all over Facebook, you know, and he's getting tired of it. Anyway, we'll be appearing at the Kung Fu Wushu African Cup to be held in a, a city that begins with the letter A in Madagascar. Can I see that? You can, right, right. there where your thumb is. Antananarivari. <laughs> yeah, oh. can you antananana banana? <laughs> it's like banana, but it goes on and on and on. It doesn't stop. <clears throat> but yeah, this is going to be held uh, September fifth through seventh, tenth. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, and Jackie would be making a, a an appearance. Supposedly, there's supposed to be ten Shaolins, as they call it. Um, you know, I like how they said Shaolins because they don't say Shaolin monks because we all know. You know. Anyway, also, Stonyfield yogurt has a new commercial where the Stonyfield farmer breaks out his Kung Fu and defeats the pesticide monsters. With Wirework Kung Fu, I've seen the commercial. <laughs> and interestingly enough, more cowbell. That's right, more cowbell. <laughs> That's his secret technique is more cowbell? Well, he does some wire work. He goes floating <clears throat> up in the air, straight up Matrix style, does some high kicking and all this kind of stuff, and then beats them to death with more cowbell, literally. Uh, kind of makes sense, I guess. It's really retarded, but um, yeah, I'll I'll put a link up in the show notes for you so everybody can see it. And uh, as a last story, and I know you guys have all kind of been sitting on the edge of your seats waiting to hear, but the Kung Fu Kitchen and Sushi of Miami Beach, Florida, hasn't touched their menu for the last five years, but now, now, they're thinking it's time for change, high time for change, and they're introducing Korean barbecue and soul food. And that's the news. As in Seoul, Korea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or as in, oh, that's so good. So good. Um, yeah, nice. Um, well, you, I think my son's trying to chisel his way out of his room at this point, so we probably ought to wrap this up. You've got a, yeah, you got a little red Tarzan coming straight at you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> red Tarzan. I you said you said so long as I had a red Tarzan in the news. Some red Tarzan. Yep. <clears throat> you know what red Tarzan tends to wear? We got red Tarzan jokes. Awesome. No, what, Craig? I don't know. You started off with it. Leopard print singlet. singlet. There you and go. you did do it. You mm -hmm. did do it. I did. Well, look, uh, before we end this thing, uh, one of the things that you mentioned several times uh, tonight is show notes. Yes, I did. And we're getting caught up on them. Congratulations. We are. Thank you, um, thank you. 
And uh, hopefully by the time this episode airs, which will be a week or two after we recorded it, we will be caught up. I'm pretty sure we will. Yep. And uh, we're enlisting help from uh, one of our students to do that. So he's on a tryout to be an intern, to be an unpaid uh, lackey. (laughs) (laughs) So we won't drop your name yet, but we'll we'll get him in here one of these days. That's right. That's right. It's good kung fu kid. Good friend. Yeah, yeah. Super, super class guy. Mm Mm-hmm. It's been fun watching him grow up. That's one of the good things about teaching. You get some kid comes in, he's a high school student or something, and you know you work with them, and then they go off to college, and then they come back, and you know it's like ah, look how you turned out. Way to go, bro. Way to go. No doubt. Because yeah, his mama's the one that kept his ass in line. But anyway, we will we'll we'll, we'll get him on the show at some point. It's nice to see your boys become your men's. Yes, it is. (laughs) Boys, two two men's. Oh, God. I think we're getting punchy. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, we've recorded two episodes back to back tonight, as I'm sure will be obvious to anyone listening mm-hmm. to these two shows. But it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I just want to say before we close this out, Brent was a once again great to Outstanding. talk to. Yeah. Love that guy. Cool cat. Well, we look forward to uh, perhaps yeah. getting him back. Yeah. Know? Well, I definitely want to watch his uh, his climb Fight. towards the top of the mountain. Yeah. There. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and listeners, get out there and check him out. Uh, throw a big hi uh towards Brent. Yeah, and he's he's let uh, you guys know. I think Follow we had already Twitter. pressed off on that, but uh, he'll definitely uh, get back in touch with you guys if you send him a personal. No, no, note it was still that. recording. Okay, yep. cool. Yep, yep. <clears throat> he's still uh, one. He's such a nice guy, and two, he's not the big famous That's fighter right. yet who gets a million letters a day. So you know, get in the ground floor on that. Talk I to said him. It. He's easy to talk to. Yes. Um, well, I guess that about wraps it up. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention right before we close and, uh, you know, I w- we're not going to beat you to death with our stumbling renditions of contact, you know, highoppodcast.com, mailbag, oh, high right. all that stuff. Uh, but, uh, I will browbeat our listeners Do because it. I have to, um, we're making some changes around here, obviously, and mm-hmm. some are implemented, some are coming, but we need your feedback because we're doing this for you as much as for ourselves so you know if there's something new you want to hear or if there's something we've taken out that you want to uh get back you know but not the judy's not the judy chops we're done with those (laughs) yeah but but i will say just for clarification judy 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 (laughs) so uh but for instance not not too long ago we had a we had uh swapping paint chris karate yeah Ask us about what happened to the swap and paint. And you know what? That was supposed to be a listener-oriented segment where you send us your, your swap and paint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we didn't get much that. of that. We got a little, but not much. So, uh, you know, if you want your swap and paint back, send them to it. But, you know, I, I have mixed them back into the interviews lately because, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And luckily, most people will give us a few of those along the ride anyway. But, uh, you know, we'll single them out. And, exactly. And, uh, yeah, swap and paint, feet of clay back in the show that's right just uh but you guys definitely send us send us your stories send us your teacher send us somebody you want us to interview we're working out a program where we can you know keep track of all this stuff a little bit better yeah um so do it man it's 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 about you guys you know Mm -hmm. um of course after we come first but you know well yeah obviously So, yeah, so get out there and do that. Contact us, people. And, again, one of the best contacts you can make to us is to rate and review on iTunes because somehow that makes the mystery machine crank over there and exposes us to more listeners. And more listeners means more content. That's right. So and we uh, like more. 
more. Yeah, just more. Basically, that's all we need. More. Yeah, yeah. More. L- thanks. Less is better. No, more is better. Yeah, really. Yeah. Pretty much more is better of everything. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all agreed on that. That's right. Leopard print singlets. Yeah. Well, that's one case where sometimes less, less is, is more. Better. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, folks, we're going to let you go for another week, but tune in next week to see what comes at you on the fabulous high yai, and we will see you.